Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 to 18. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they have not stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they are offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when the priest has offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for the enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on my minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where they have been forgotten, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Fantastic. Welcome to THCC. My name is Luke Hastings. And can I encourage you to get out your Bibles if you've got them? Um, and if you don't have a Bible, let me uh, say that it'll be a privilege as a church to buy you one. Uh, so if you want to contact the church office to say that you would like a Bible sent to you, we'll be more than happy to send you one. And, and ultimately, if you don't speak English and you would like a non-English Bible, again, we will endeavor to try and get you one. So please do contact the church office if you do not have access to a physical Bible. It will be fantastic. Now, C.S. Lewis, some of you might have heard of, he's a uh, Christian theologian. He wrote the Narnian series books, if you've read them as a child or watched the films. Um, he also wrote some fantastic um, apologetic Christian books as well. He was once asked, what is the difference between Christianity and different and, and other religions? And it didn't take him long to say the difference is do and done. The point he is trying to make is that religions teach their believers that they must do things to win the prize. You can imagine a ladder where you've got us at the bottom and you've got God at the top and you have to work your way up. You, you might be imagining the the five pillars of Islam. You might be thinking about uh, the path to enlightenment. Uh, you might be thinking about uh, going to church, being a good person. And only by doing these things can you start to climb that ladder and make your way to God. 
And the difference is, and what's unique about Christianity is not about what we've done, but what God has already done. Specifically in the death of Christ on the cross. It's not that we need to climb up to God, but it's God sending his son down to us so that we have already won the prize. And in this series on Hebrews that we've been covering since November, I believe we've been covering it for a very long period of time, we've been looking at how Jesus is more superior to that of the things of the Old Testament. He was a better priest who secured a better sacrifice, sorry, a better covenant, and then he was a better sacrifice as we look at today. And that sacrifice is good news for us because it was deliberate, it was perfect love, enduring judgment on the cross, it was procuring for us salvation. He was establishing a new covenant. And in that new covenant, we were getting the chief blessing of forgiveness of sins. In the death of Christ, because it was so great and it was the final sacrifice for eternity, what, a, what an eternity of sacrifice could not accomplish. And that is good news for us today. And we speak a lot as Christians that there is nothing we can do to be acceptable to Christ. And that is right, but it's only a half-truth. It's not that we can't do it, it's that we don't have to do it. God has already, Jesus has already done that for us on the cross. All we have to do is receive it. So, in chapter 9, Tony spoke last week, and again, highly recommend going back and listening to that. We learned that you needed forgiveness, demands blood, and salvation demands substitution. And the demand then for death is to have something superior to all sacrifices of the Old Testament and is laid down in chapter 9. And here in chapter 10, we find the characteristics of Christ's death, which was lacking in the old sacrifices. So two points, uh, religion we do and religion that God has done. Religion we do, verse 1, the law. And the law here is referring to the old uh, testament, uh, sacrimonial law, and uh, sacrificial rituals um, is only a shadow of the things to come, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. And again, if you take notes, um, circle that word perfect, and you can sort of put to the side that it means access to God. The writer is saying that the that, that really the Old Testament sacrifices were more of a treatment than a cure. And when you have to take treatment, you're extremely happy for that treatment, but ultimately every time you take it is a reminder that you're sick. And likewise, the sacrifices in the Old Testament was never a cure, but a treatment, inadequate and insufficient to remove sins. The treatment in the Old Testament pointed beyond themselves to the final cure, and the repetition of that treatment was just a reminder that, that a solution was going to come. A.B. Davison puts it, no repetition of a shadow can ever add up to the substance. And the repetition of these sacrifices just, is just a reminder that in their insufficientness, and that this annual sacrifice, um, the Day of Atonement, was just a simply reminder that it was insufficient and that something better was to come. Verse 2. Likewise, 
would they have stopped being offered for the worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But these sacrif- those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take, to take away sins. So here the writer points out that the sacrifices can't give you access to God. Even the priests on their best day on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, could not bring the people inside the veil. The veil always remained. They could not get access to God. All those sacrifices, hundreds of thousands of animals every year, the blood running in the streets, even on that day, they could not have access to God. But what makes these sacrifices so inefficient? Verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Bulls and goats are incapable of taking away sins. I heard um, a bit of a crude illustration here, and hopefully it sort of tries to point out what the issue is here. Basically, two children are arguing on the. Uh, they're about to go to a party, and they uh, and their father has told them a few times to stop arguing, get ready, get your shoes on. But ultimately, there are other things distracting them. Maybe Pokemon cards. Maybe they are getting distracted on on their way out. And then they start to fight about something that they shouldn't have been doing. And their dad turns around and says, right, that's it. You're not going to the party anymore. Now, one of the children had been to Sunday school, and they turned around and said, well, what if we can punish someone in our place? Can we punish someone in our place? And obviously, the dad is stumped at this point, um, because he's thinking, oh, he's got me here. And then ultimately, he goes, okay, fine. What is a suitable sacrifice? what is a suitable substitution for the punishment of the behaviors that you've been showing? And the boy looks around the room, and he goes, what about the dog? And I feel like in this bit of a crude illustration, he's he's pointing out that ultimately the dog is not a good good substitute. To have a good substitute, the, the substitute has first to have had to have obeyed. It needs to be someone that's first obeyed God to, to have the punishment of the disobedience towards God. Bulls and goats are great at eating, they're great at wandering around, but it's never said that they've obeyed God. They don't have any will and they can't commit it. So the writer in Hebrews is saying that the sacrifice of bulls and goats will never be the final solution. Without the removal of sin, there is no access to God. It's incomplete and insufficient. So what's been mentioned in this talk again and again very much with what is the writer of Hebrews writing, who, who, who is the writer of Hebrews writing to, uh, and very much it's a focus for the, people, for the Jewish hearers to have their focus back on Jesus. Maybe it's that they're being persecuted, maybe their family and friends are trying to convince them and trying to point out that actually the, the, the Christianity that you're now following has its flaws. Come back to what's familiar familiar to us. You're upsetting your mom. You're upsetting your parents. And ultimately, they are being tempted back to the familiar of their culture. And maybe that's the way that we see it as well, that our gaze is being taken away from Christ. Maybe if we'd come from a different background, maybe if we'd come from a Muslim background, we're being tempted back to the culture and to the family and to the family traditions that we've now left behind and potentially don't have access to. Maybe we were secularists, and actually our secular friends are really criticisms of, criticizing us of what 
what we now believe, maybe because they can't see it themselves and feel it themselves. Or maybe it's just that we're just being tempted into other areas of society. And that temptation to lose focus and drift away and blend in with the world around us should never be underestimated. Because this would be cutting ourselves off from the ultimate solution for sin and our rebellions against God. So we've looked at a a religion of do. Now we're going to look at the religion that God has done. The writer wants us to grab hold of Jesus because that is the only way we won't slip away. But I feel like, especially after this series and the last one, you might be thinking that, what about Christianity? Why is, it feels like Christianity has been cobbled together because God manufactured a plan at the beginning that has somehow gone wrong. Um, he recognized that there was defects in the system. The systems that he set up aren't quite working as he wished they were. And now the Bible tells you that this couldn't be further from the truth. But for, through eternity, the Father had chosen the Son to be the only one to provide an atoning sacrifice of sins for many. Verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you prepare for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scrolls. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to accomplish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ for all for all. Now, these words are being quoted from Psalm 40 uh, and being quoted again here from verse, verse 5. And basically, the, the emphasis is, is that the ritual sacrifices are rubbish without the corresponding obedience of the heart and life. And it was interesting the way that Katie put this as well. You need the corresponding heart and life with the sacrifice. Because if you get the sacrifice without the corresponding um, heart and life behind it, then ultimately do not bring these, this rubbish to me. But why was God not, sort of, God not pleased with them? Why was this a new um, revelation that God was bringing? The answer is found in the prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah being one of them. And he confronted the people of their day with the issue of sacrifice. God speaks through the prophets and he says, I don't care anymore for your sacrifices. I'm not interested in your burnt offerings. Because at the very heart of what I conceived in the relationship to these offerings is that they would be an expression of your heart and your obedience of your love for me. And for your heart and your obedience and your love is not there, then they are worthless. As we identified the problem of a suitable substitute of our disobedience towards God is that we need someone that was obedient towards God. And here the writer is saying that Jesus is that sacrifice. He wasn't an animal. He came to earth as a human, tempted in every way and sinless. 
The animal itself was coerced onto the, uh, the sacrificial altar, but the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ in his body has been prepared, was neither coerced or without fault, but it was voluntary and in full awareness of what was happening. In submission to the Father's plan, Jesus was perfectly dedicated to the Father's will 100%. So while it was true that bulls and goats couldn't take away sins forever, as a treatment, Jesus' sacrifice was the cure, sufficient for all time. John chapter uh, 6 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of of who, who sent me. And of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Gospel writers record it. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet as I will, yet not as I will, but as you will. Why? Because the the atonement is grounded in the plan of the Father from all of eternity, so that men and women in Tower Hamlets or wherever in the world you are, on this day may have forgiveness of sins and may be in the right relationship with God, not as a result of human resourcefulness, not as a result of artificial religion, but as a result of a plan that was in the mind of the Father through all of eternity. Verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he awaits for his enemies to be his footstools. Here, the writer is contrasting. The contrast is massive. In verse 5, you've got the Levitical priests. They're constantly standing because their work is never done, constantly offering the same sacrifices again and again, not removing the sin that's needed to be removed. And in contrast, you've got verse 12, which has the Lord Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of God because his work is done. His work is complete. And because he now sits down waiting for evil to finally be eradicated from the whole world and his enemies to become his footstools, verse 14 rules out any possibility of the necessary, any necessary uh, future offerings needed for sin because by one sacrifice he has made perfect those who have because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who have been made holy. E.E. E. Hewitt puts it, I need no other sacrifice, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, that Jesus died for me. We need no other priest to stand between us and the Father. We need no other offering. We need no one to offer new sacrifices on our behalf. We need nothing because of the Father's plan and because of the Son's absolute sufficient obedience. I know that um, sufficient is, a, is, is an absolute term in itself, but I think to, to really drum it home, I could have said total, complete, comprehensive, whole and entire. The sacrifice was sufficient. But again... The Bible does say that we should be offering our bodies as sacrifices. And that's completely true. Romans uh, 12. And in fact, our lips should be sacrifices as well. And also our gifts should be sacrifices. Um, Hebrews 13. But this isn't in order to attract God's mercy, but rather an expression of the fact that we've been laid whole of God's mercy. But are we falling into that trap that we make sacrifices to become more acceptable to God. 
Lent is a perfect time to sort of raise this as an issue or to sort of really to examine our, 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 our hearts and why we do what we do during Lent. Um, are we making little sacrifices here and there? Are we giving up chocolate? Are we foregoing this? Are we taking up this? If, are we doing this? And is this in anyone's mind? It's in my mind regularly. But to that degree, I've not hold the nature of the Father's plan and the Son's sacrifice. If we could add one more thing to, to Jesus' atonal sacrifice, it will make it insufficient for our sins. The Hebrew writer keeps quoting from Jeremiah 31. He starts back in uh, chapter 8 and here again um, at the end of this section. The writer is using it to highlight the future Jeremiah promised is here. It has come. The death of Jesus has achieved it. Verse 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the new covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. With the Lord writing the laws on our hearts, we can begin to fully obey him. By this grace, it is written on our hearts. The revelation aren't special aren't for a special few at the top, but for everyone. You don't have to be a guru. You do not have to be a priest. If you trust in the death of Jesus, you know him already, not as a stranger, but as a father. Verse 17. Then he adds, This sins, their sins and lawless acts, I remember no more. And this is the heart of everything. All the things that despise God, all the things that separate us from God, forgiven, forgotten, forever. We all fail, we all fall, but every time we can look at the cross to remind us that our sins are no longer remembered. God has promised to take away your sins from his mind and you can do the same. So as I finish, Christians here, remember that as we head through Lent, as we focus on the cross, remember that our sins are remembered no more. That Jesus' sacrifice was ultimate, not for people that loved him, but for sinners. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Remember that sacrifice and let the benefits of sin that can easily entangle us, throw, throw, throw off sin that can so easily entangle us and run with perseverance that race marked out for us. And to our guests, I believe that Hebrews is asking us, what does the death of Jesus mean to you? Is it nothing or is it your everything? Hebrews teaches us that we're all in need of forgiveness. We started uh, with a quote from C.S. Lewis and we're going to end with a quote from Jesus that really compresses all these 18 verses into one word. And it's the final word he uses on the cross. So we're going to listen to that and I'll introduce and then the band will be up as well. John 19, verse 28 to 30. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit.